Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. I know the church is kind of a weird thing to come to if you don't typically go to church. And so my hope is that from the moment that you got here that you would just, you would just feel right at home. That no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your upbringing has been, your background, your religious beliefs, that you would feel welcome here. And we are, we're thrilled that you're with us. My name is Steve. I'm going to get a few moments to speak to you uh, from God's Word. I consider it a privilege and an honor. And so it's, the, it's one of the greatest joys of my life to share the truth of, of Jesus Christ. I believe He changes people's lives forever. And so we're in a sermon series today called Wonder Working Power. And what we, what we at- attempted to do is just for... The next few weeks, we started at Easter, where we just simply said, hey, let's talk about the empty tomb. Let's talk about logically where Jesus is, what happened. Uh, And I gave you kind of some logical thoughts on if Jesus rose from the dead. uh, And here's why I believe that. And if he did do that, I I, I gave you some, some, some truths. And the truths were, if Jesus rose from the dead in power, that there is an opportunity for you to change. That we, we shared that message last week through the story of, of Saul. And so if you missed that and you need change in your life, check out the story of, of Saul. For the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at if Jesus rose from the dead, uh, there's forgiveness of sins. And then the last week, if Jesus rose from the dead, there's eternal life. There's the promise of life after this, this place that we're living on today. And so next week, we're going to take a look at a woman named Mary. Uh, and we're going to take a look at her story. Today, I want to talk to you about a man named Peter. And here's what I want to tell you about church people, because maybe you've, you've already been around church people, and so you've figured out some things in your head. Uh, maybe you've come to some, some conclusions about what we think about ourselves and what we believe. And I want you to know, number one, church people are not perfect. You, you probably know that already. Maybe, you, maybe you'd be shocked to hear that. Uh, church people have issues, uh, and, and church people mess up from time to time. That, that we are, we're not here because we're perfect. That church people are forgiven people. That, that to be a Christian means that you are walking in, in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to understand that I'm not a perfect person. I don't have it all together. If you spend any amount of time with me at, at any point in my house with me, with my wife and my three kids, you would quickly realize this dude has issues. And so I, I am not a perfect person. I'm a forgiven person. And so the message that we share today and every week in church is about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven people. And so what I want to do is I want to take you back into the story of Jesus. And here's what's cool. Even if you've never been in church, I think some people, um, you, you know like the big details of the, the story of Jesus. Like you maybe have seen a movie, maybe you've seen The Passion of the Christ or uh, something like that. Maybe you grow, grew up in Catholic church, which a bunch of people did it here. And so you've been to classes and you kind of know the story of Jesus from a distance. And so what you know that on the last night that Jesus was on the earth, that he had a, something called the Last Supper. You see, you've seen it in a painting. You watch the Da Vinci Code, so, something like that. And so you've seen that. You know maybe from, from, from history or from learning the story that on the last night uh, that he had his disciples there, and one of them, the disciples' name was Judas, right? And you know if you've been in church that Judas is the betrayer. He's kind of the evil disciple. He's the one. He sells Jesus out for 30 silver coins. Uh, he, 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 he then, if you know church history, the story, he goes on, he kills himself. He's so distraught about what he just did. You know the story of Judas, and I think most of us would say he was a bad dude. He, he was, Judas was the denier of Christ. I can't believe he did that. 
He was a bad dude, and bad people aren't allowed near, near Jesus. And then I think if you flip the script, maybe you go to Peter, and you say, you know Peter because you're Catholic, some of you, and you go, Peter, no, he, Peter's a saint. Like Judas obviously is not a saint because of what he did to Jesus. Peter is a saint. Peter, uh, he, he, he did great things for Jesus. Peter never, never d- d- denied Jesus, never sold Jesus out, never did anything like that. Peter went, goes on to become the first pope. And so if you go to a Catholic church, you'll see some weird sculpture of Peter somewhere. And, you know, he's a saint and he's a big deal. He's a pope, right? And you would say, he is, he is what I want to be. I want to be like Peter. Like, if I want to be, I want to be like, like Peter, right? Like, I want to I attain to that. Don't want to be like Judas. Judas, he was a bad dude. He sold Jesus out. want to be like Peter. But I think, is, I think you don't know the full story about Peter. Like, we know where he ends up. But I would say, Judas might not be the worst of the worst. His story is the saddest. He, 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 he takes his life. He commits suicide. Doesn't give Jesus a chance to forgive him. But he's not the worst. I would argue, if you read the whole story, you would realize quickly, oh my gosh, Peter is the worst disciple. Like he is, well, I call him Pope, but he's really just a, a dope. Like he, he's the worst of the worst. And here's what's good news about it. I can relate to him. Like I look at him, I, I go, I'm a lot like Peter. Like, I've done things like Peter, and if Peter is able to be used by Jesus, so what I want to do is I want to take you into the last night of Jesus being on the earth. He knows people are going to leave him. He knows his friends are going to abandon him, and this is what he says to Peter, and I want you to remember this. If somebody gives you the answers to the test and you still flunk, you have to be an idiot, right? Like, when I, when I got my pastoral license about 15 years ago, you were allowed uh, to, to write in your Bible, this paper thing, I don't know if you've ever seen one, to write in your Bible uh, the notes to some of the answers. You had to memorize like 400 questions on this test. I don't even remember what they were, but you were allowed to give yourself notes in your Bible and then memorize where they were at to pass it. And so when people congratulated me for passing my pastoral exam, I thought to myself, no, you don't understand how dumb you, you, you literally, you literally, I would have to be the dumbest person in the world to not pass this. And so you could probably pass it too, and you've never been to Bible college. But they would congratulate me anyways uh, about it. And the truth is, most of what you take on that test, you never apply because then the real one hits you and it kicks you in the teeth. You're like, oh, that's what pastor and his plunging toilets, you know, and praying that God would rapture you at some point. Like, that's what pastoring looks like. And so Jesus is about to give the disciples the answers to the greatest test that they would find that, they would, that they're going to face. Watch, watch what he says in Matthew 26. And Jesus tells his disciples, Judas is already gone. This very night you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, this Peter's Peter. Even if everyone else at this table falls away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, not only are you this very night before the rooster crows, cock-a-doodle-doo, right? You would just own me not once, not twice, three times. Judas sold me out once. You're not going to sell me out just once, not twice, three times. And Peter declares, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the other disciples said the same. So Jesus comes, they, get, they, get, they arrest him with Judas, they arrest him. The Bible says the disciples scatter, do exactly what Jesus said that he was going to do. Jesus is taken into the temple courts, they put him under a false trial. At nighttime, they begin to 
beat him and, and mock him, and Peter's there. You think Peter is standing up for Jesus? You think he's ready to, to, to defeat people, to die for him? Let's see what the Bible says in Matthew 26, just a few verses later, just a few hours later. The Bible says now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl, not, not a man, a little girl comes up to him and says, you were one of Jesus. You were with Jesus. And what does he say? He doesn't say, you're right, little girl. You better fear me. You, I walked on water. I'm Peter. Well, that's what he says. But he denies it before them. I don't know what you're talking about, little girl. Then he went out of the gateway, uh, to the gateway, while another little girl comes up, little servant girl, and says to him, this fellow was with Jesus. He denies it again with an oath. I, with the exclamation point, I don't know the man. I, I never seen him. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I mean, he, he's straight losing his mom. Beep, 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 beep. I mean, it's been just a few hours. Jesus told him, you're going to do this to me. I mean, in my head, I'm going, no, no way. I'm not, and Jesus said I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove Jesus wrong. He says, I don't know the man. Immediately, watch what happens. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say was going to happen? Three times before the rooster crowed. Immediately, the rooster crows. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus that he had spoken before the rooster crows. You would disown me. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he went outside, and he's in the exact same position that Judas was now in. He went outside, and he weeps bitterly. Ju Judas gets to the place where he is completely uh, separated from the things of, of, of Jesus, and he takes his life. And now Peter is in the exact same place. So here's the thing. Why don't we talk about this? Why do we remember Judas taking his life, but we don't talk about the life of Peter like we do about Judas? Because I would say he was worse because Jesus said you're going to do it three times, and he did it not once, not twice, but, but three, three times within just a few hours. So, so why don't we remember Peter the same way? I don't know if you are a Bible person or not, but one thing that's really cool about the Bible is you can read the Bible over and over and over again. And I've read this story and I've preached this message. And then you read it again and you see a line and you're like, there's something significant there. Like there's, there's some, something, something there. So when I was reading it this week and I was preparing this message, did you see what Jesus says to him when he's telling him you're going to deny me all of them? If you go back to, to Matthew 26, verse number 32, the Bible says that this, then Jesus told him, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock uh, will scatter. Watch what he says this. You need to highlight this. But after I have risen, where is he going to be? I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I never noticed that before. A after I rise from the dead, I'm going to go to Galilee. So I started to study the word Galilee. What's Galilee? Why is he telling him that? It's almost as if he knows where his sin is going to lead him to. And so I started to study the word Galilee, and I think there's significance because some of you, you are experiencing spiritual Galilee in your life. We're going to talk about sin and, and mistakes and, and, and things you've done you're not proud of, the marriage that you caused to fail, the, the, the affair that you had, the drug you've been addicted to in the past, or maybe you're currently addicted to that nobody knows, the, the pornography that you can't stop listening to, the gossip that won't stop coming out of your mouth, the things that you've done that you are ridiculously embarrassed about that you think Jesus is going to cast you off to the side and never want to speak to you again, that's your Galilee. And, and here's what I know about Galilee. Galilee, number one, is the center of Jesus' ministry. Physically, it was, right? Like, if you go study scripture, 
Galilee is where Jesus spent most of his time. He walked on water there. He, he fed people there. He went to parties there. He debated religious people there. Uh, he, he spent time with his disciples there. This is where he spent most of, of his ministry. But as I began to study it and, and dig a little bit deeper, there's something else there. It's not just the center of his ministry physically. That the word Galilee, and the reason he said, I'm going to go back to Galilee, I'm going to rise and I'm going to meet you there, is he wants us to know Galilee is central to the message of who he is. Galilee is central to the message of who he is. Where's, where's Galilee? Galilee is a spot that the disciples are going to go in the midst of their greatest mistake. The spot that you're currently in, the darkness, the, the spot that you're coming. Galilee is the spot that Jesus meets them. It, it, it's, here's what it is. Jesus' forgiveness meets us on the other side of the greatest mistakes that we have ever went through. Galilee is central to the theme of Jesus. I love what it says in 1 Timothy 1. Paul wrote this. This is a guy, last week he murdered Christians and then Jesus changed his life. And now he's writing it. And I think if you're a murderer and you're being used by Jesus and he's forgiven you, that I think you write from a different point. Right? Like if, you, if you've never really been forgiven, then your worship is usually weak. Usually you come to church late. Usually you just act different because you've never been forgiven. But when you come into this place and you are a mess and you are broken and you are lost and you are addicted and you still feel the presence of God and he is drawing you to himself and he uses your life and he saves you and he sets you free, I think you act different. I think it's just a natural reaction. And the Bible says that Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, he says, here's a trustworthy saying. What he's trying to say is, remember this, that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. What does he say? Here's what's trustworthy. We are here, and the message that we are sharing is Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And I just want you to look at me. I got you there. Like, if we want to compare lives, I'm going to tell you right now, I've sinned just as much as you have. I've done just as much stupid stuff as you have. I've gone through just as much stuff as you have gone through, and I have made just as many mistakes as you have made. And what I'm trying to tell you is Galilee is central to the theme of Jesus. The theme of Jesus is not perfect people coming to a perfect church, wearing perfect clothes, listening to a perfect message, singing perfect songs, and going to a perfect lunch. It's broken, limp beggars walking into a room seeking the presence of God, and they can't please him. They can't do anything to get to him. And he says, you don't have to get to me. I have got to you. It's central to the theme of everything. What is, when I die, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. I'm going to meet you on the other side of your greatest mistake. He's already there. Maybe you're in the midst of the greatest mistake that you have ever made. Jesus is already here waiting on you. Here, here's something else too that I noticed. It's Galilee in the disciples' lives. It represents their greatest failure. You, you didn't see it. In John 21, we, we find out what happens. The Bible says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. And watch what he says. By the Sea of Galilee. He, he, he meets them just like he said he was. And what does he say? It happened this, it happened this way. He, he meets these guys in, in their greatest failure. Galilee represents your greatest failure. I don't know if you ever had one. When I was going to Bible college, I was 19 years old. I worked at a place called Applebee's. 
Every area of your life prepares you for whatever God wants to do in your life. And so at Applebee's, I worked for a manager, and he was not kind. He was not fair. He was condescending. He lied to me. He did not treat me right. And I did not realize as a 19-year-old kid that God was just preparing me to pastor people. Because <laughs> that's what it's like pastoring people. Does that, I mean, that's, that's, and and when, when you're a pastor of people, and you love people, but you don't need anything from them, then you're not supposed to get mad at them. You're supposed to get everything you need from Jesus, and then you're supposed to come to them fully complete and not allow them to wound you because you're already complete in Christ, and that's all of our story. But I didn't realize that, and so what I thought is, no, my job is to stand up for myself, which I would like to do sometimes as a pastor, but I can't. And so as a 19-year-old, I remember I did not get the, the sections. If you're not a waiter, you won't understand this, but there were sections you wanted to get with, 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 with tables that have four people or six people, and he would always give me two, top, two toppers, which means two people would sit there, and usually you wouldn't make good money off two people. And so uh, you, I, he always gave me the same sections, and I got mad. I would work hard, and I would keep my mouth shut until finally, and everybody in there knew I was going to be a pastor, by the way. Finally, one night I lost my temper. I went into his office, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what I said because I can't say because it's church. I lost my, 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 my mind. I, 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 I yelled at him. I yelled about Applebee's. I yelled about their food. I pointed fingers at people. I accused him of things that I knew were true, but nobody else knew. I, I lost my mind. I took off my Applebee's little apron thing, wrapped it up, took off my dorky Applebee's polo shirt, ripped it off. I had a t-shirt underneath, and so ripped it off. I threw it on the ground, walked out in a white t-shirt and dorky khakis, right? I want the chilies and got a job. I even told him, I said, Chili's is way better than this place. I don't care about your half crap appetizers you got. I'm going to Chili's. I went down to Chili's and I worked. And I got to tell you something. For years, every time I went near Applebee's, I remembered that moment. It was like embarrassing. I was like, I can't believe that I, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I spoke that. I can't believe I acted like that. I can't believe I said that to him. I was supposed to be a pastor. And it was just kind of a constant reminder of one of the greatest failures of, of my life. as I've had plenty more since then. But you need to understand the significance of Galilee because Galilee to disciples, it, it represents their greatest failure. I mean, Peter is in Galilee because he completely dropped the ball. Judas is hanging from a tree somewhere, and, and Peter is going back to his old way of life. And, and in that moment, it's a place of hiding and of shame, and of bitterness, and of letdown, and of anxiety. I mean, think about the position he's in. Either A, he has just done what his best friend on the world at that time said he was going to do, exactly how he was going to do it, even though he told him he was going to do it, and now he's dead, and now he is Peter the denier for the rest of his life, or he's going to rise back from the dead, and he's going to come find me, and then I'm going to be in trouble on that side. So I don't win either way. Some of you are there. If, if he is alive... I'm pretty sure he doesn't want me at church today. I'm pretty sure he knows about all the bad things that I have done. In Galilee, it represents their greatest failures in their life. And here's what begins to happen in that great failure. You begin to hear stuff from Satan like, I can't. That word, I can't. I can't get better. I can't get past this. Or maybe you hear, God won't. God won't forgive me. God won't be okay with me. God won't allow me to be in church. God won't allow me to be, to be close. Or you'll think, nobody cares. Nobody cares about what I've gone through. I, I, don't, I don't matter. And I think maybe one of the biggest ones is, it, and not only that, it's just too late for me. It's too late for me. I think Peter would have heard this. You know, when Peter was in his heyday, when he was one of, one of the Beatles, when he was following Jesus around, there's a story in Scripture about they're at this place called 
the gates of Hades physically. It's a spot that, that people would go to. It was a pagan kind of area of, of temple kind of worship. And they actually called it the gates of hells. And they assumed that evil spirits would pass to and, and from the underground through this like kind of gateway to, the, to, the, to death. And so people would go there and do all sorts of weird rituals and religious things. And so good Jewish people didn't go there. Guess where Jesus went? He went there. Because Jesus was never around the good religious people. He was always around the broken people. And he takes his disciples there. And I can just imagine his disciples are like, we can't go here. What's he doing? He's lost his mind. Jesus is like, I hear you, Peter. I hear everything. I'm God. I'm sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing. You need to stop. And then Peter's thinking stuff. He's like, I still hear you, Peter. And they get up to this, this place, and, and he begins to talk to Peter. And he looks at Peter. And up to this point, Peter's name was actually Simon. That's his original name. Jesus is the one who gave him the name of Peter. And this is where he got it from in Matthew 16, verse 18. They're standing at this, this kind of evil place. And Jesus is trying to convey to him, this is the type of place, the, the, this is the reason we're going to start a church to reach these type of people, to change these type of, of lives. We're not going to the clean people. We're going to the broken people. And he said, not only are we going to the broken people, but I'm going to use broken people to reach broken people. And he looks at Peter and he says, hey, your name is Simon, but from now on, I'm going to call you Peter. You know it's cool when Jesus gives you a nickname, right? I'm going to call you Peter, and watch what it means. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The word Peter means Petros, rock. I'm, I'm going to use somebody like you to reach people far from me, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. And watch what he promises. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. That's, that's like your parents say they're going to give you the keys to the Ferrari. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And I think in this moment, Peter's going, I can't believe I let down Jesus. He even gave me a nickname. He called me Rock. My mom called me Simon. You know how people are named Simon? And Jesus comes and he says, I see something in you. I'm going to build my church with you. And I've let him down. This moment in his life represents his greatest, his greatest failure. And here's the thing about it. In this moment, number three, I want to encourage you because some of you are here. You don't have to stay in Galilee. You need to let Jesus meet you in Galilee, but you don't have to stay in Galilee. Many people just accept it. Well, I deserve it. I, 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 I did things I shouldn't have done. I've been places I shouldn't have been. I've had procedures I shouldn't have had. I've slept around with too many people. I had too many fares. I've looked at too many things. I've taken too many pills. I've messed up too much. And I think we can even appreciate this thinking because we live in Philly. We're Philly tough, right? Watching the Sixers game, and all of a sudden, there's a snake wrapped around it. I'm like, well, this, we are tough on the Sixers logo. Do you see that last time? I'm like, we're bad. And I think we can appreciate some of what, what I think other people do is when you go, well, I've earned this. I, I've, 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 I've made the mistakes, and I've had the broken marriages, and I've, I've told the lies, and I've got myself into debt, and I've had to file bankruptcy and all the things that I've done. And so what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to work my way back to God because I think he can appreciate if I just work my way back to him and I try a little bit harder and, 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 I, and I go back and do the work. You see what the disciples did? They get back to Galilee. Guess what they did? The Bible says in John 21 verse number 2, it says Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. They're all in this together. And what, is, what does Peter say? I guess I'm going to go back out and fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. Watch, watch this. But they caught nothing. You know what's funny about this part of the story? Here he is doing the same thing that he was doing three years earlier, getting the same results. When, when Peter and Jesus meet, 
Jesus comes out. He looks at Peter. Peter is the worst fisherman in the world. He's throwing the net. He's not catching anything. And Jesus says, hey, throw your net into the other side. He does. Pulls in a bunch of fish. He says, follow me. Peter goes with him. Simon goes with him. And his life is dramatically changed. He's now failed. I think he thinks, I can't go back to what Jesus has wanted for my life. I think it's too late for me. I think God's never going to forgive me. So I'll just go back. And I'll go back to fishing. And I got the exact same I got the exact same results. And I don't know if you ever noticed this. Some of you have come into this place and you are a broken sinner and you've messed up a lot. And so what you do is you try to get religious and you try to kind of work your way back to God. Yet it doesn't really fix anything. Like it's, it's kind of, all your effort, it, it, it's kind of missed. This is what the, these men did. They, they started to try to figure out, okay, we'll try to make way on our own. We'll try to figure stuff out on, on, on our own. But that's not how Jesus asked us to approach him. In fact, Scripture says in Psalms 147, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor His delight in the legs of the warrior. It doesn't matter if you, if you don't skip leg day, He says. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their hope in what? In His unfailing love. In other words, when you're strong enough to admit you're weak, God is willing to show you His strength. One of my favorite illustrations about this, and I've used this story for, for years, so if you've heard it before, just, just go with it. A little story about a little boy named, named Johnny, and Johnny, he was like most little boys, he was kind of rambunctious and kind of always getting himself in accidental trouble, and so one day he was out at his grandparents' house, and uh, they, have, they had a pond with some ducks and some stuff's going on, and he's kind of playing outside, and he picks up a rock, and he thinks to himself, I wonder if I could hit one of those ducks with this rock, because that's how little boys think. So he picked up a rock, and he, and he threw one. On the very first shot, he hits a duck, and the duck dies. He's at his grandparents' house. He thinks nobody has saw him. He's freaking out. He goes, gets a duck, takes it, puts it behind a wood, wood pile, covers it up, and kind of goes about his own business, thinking that he is scot-free. They got plenty of ducks they'll never know. Meanwhile, Sally, his little sister, has been watching the whole thing. She says, I saw what you did. And he said, please don't tell Grandma. Please don't tell Grandma. Please don't tell Grandpa. Please don't tell him. And she said, I won't tell him. You have to do everything I tell you to do. This is what Satan does. Please don't tell God what I've done. God's going, come on, man. You got to do everything I do. You got to stay in darkness. You got you to cover it up. You, you got to hide. And so what's happening in this house is, Johnny, it's, it's time, dinner time. They're going to eat, and then it's time to clean the dishes. And it's Sally's turn to clean the dishes. And so Grandma says, okay, Sally, it's time to clean the dishes. And she goes, nah, I think Johnny wants to do it. And she whispers to Johnny, remember the, remember the ducks. Remember the ducks. And so Johnny goes and cleans, and she goes out and plays. The next day, it's, it's time for chores. Johnny's already done his chores. It's time for Sally to do some chores. Grandpa comes in. He says, hey, you want to go fishing? And Grandma says, well, Sally can't because she has some chores to do, but Johnny can go. And so Johnny's like, yeah, I want to go fishing. I love, I love fishing. He gets ready to go, and Sally says, nah, he hates fishing. I think I'll go. I think he wants to stay back and do the chores. And he gets mad, and she says, remember the duck. And for years, for weeks, not for years, for, for days and days and even a week into it, every time it was, it was his opportunity to go do something, she would say, remember the duck. Remember the duck. So finally he got tired of it. He's like, I can't take this condemnation. I hate my sister. I can't take it. So he goes to his grandma. You had these conversations before with, with people. He goes to his grandma. He says, Grandma, I accidentally killed one of your ducks. Let's put this rock in my hand. I'm not really sure how it got into my hand. I threw it. It was actually an incredible shot. And hit the duck and it killed the duck. And I just need to tell you, I'm sorry. I can't take Sally anymore. 
to make me do all her chores and put me under condemnation. You know what the grandma said? She said, I know. I was watching out the window. I saw you kill Daffy. I've been waiting for like the last week for you just to confess it so that I could forgive you. Of course, I still love you. It's just a duck. And I think the same thing is true with God. I mean, I know it's true. There's things that you've hidden which you think, I need to stay here in my failure. I'm going to go back to my weather. I can't be who God wanted me to be. And so I'm just going to keep it hidden. And at some point, God's saying, no, no, no. You need I've already seen it. I already know what you've done. I already know where you've been. I have already know who you've been with. I saw you last night, and I need to tell you, I still love you. My forgiveness is central to the theme of everything that I have done. You don't have to stay in Galilee when you're strong enough to admit you're weak. God is, God is willing to show you his strength. You see, it's who you are right now in your sin. That's who you are, but it's not who you have to be. It's what you did, but it doesn't have to be all that you do. It's how it went down, but it doesn't have to keep you down. You don't have to stay in Galilee. And here's how I know that, because number four, Jesus, he'll meet you there. Exactly what he said he was going to do. You guys are all going to deny me. You're all going to let me down. You're all going to fail me. But I'm going to die for your sins, and then I'm going to meet you ahead of where your greatest sin is going to take you. And I'm not going to be embarrassed of you, and I'm not going to be angry with you. And I'm not going to be distanced with you. I'm going to meet you there. And so I think the disciples maybe are playing this out in their head. Maybe they're going back to the conversation. And they're realizing, holy crap. We did what Jesus said we were going to do. I did it. I messed up. And now I'm fishing in Galilee. And scripture says that in the book of John. That Jesus shows up on that beach. Same way he did three years earlier. And Peter sees him. Doesn't really know who it is yet, though. And Jesus says, hey, you guys suck at fishing. Same thing he said. That's how I said it in the Greek. <laughs> Throw your nets to the other side. So I, I don't know if they're figuring it out or not yet. They're like, okay. Throw it to the other side. Pull in a bunch of fish again. They're like, we've seen this trick before. I've been here before. And you notice what Peter does. If you read the story in John 21, the Bible says Peter jumps in the water. He's so excited to see Jesus. He jumps in the water and he swims to Jesus. Now this is how I know he understands Jesus because if I denied Jesus after Jesus told me I was going to deny him and then I went back to Galilee to my old way of life and just tried to hide in my sin and Jesus showed up, most of us I think would be saying, no, 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 hide me. But there's significance in this moment. There's significance when you repent. That means you turn away from your old life. You know who you are. You know you're weak. When you're willing to admit you're weak, God is willing to show you his strength. And the Bible says Peter comes. I can just picture this. Peter comes to Jesus on the beach. And this, this always touches my spirit when I think about it because I think about myself and I think about people in this church and I think about all the people that come into this church every week that think their life is over. You, you, think, you think you're outside of God's plans. You think you're outside of, of God's goodness. You think you're too far gone. And so here comes, comes Jesus, and Peter, Peter meets him, and they say they have, they have fish together. They, they eat together. And then there's this beautiful conversation, this one-on-one -on -one conversation. Everybody else is there. I don't know if Jesus pulls them off to the side. I can just imagine Peter's chest is going like this. 
which by the way is the same thing that happens when Jesus begins to work on your life. The Bible says he knocks at the door of, of your heart and Peter's thinking, oh no. You know, there's safety in numbers maybe. This is going to be awkward. Am I going to get yelled at? And so then Jesus begins to speak to Peter and this is what, what he says. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, John 21 verse number 15. Can you bring that up? Uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Watch what he says. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you? Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Now that you've been broken, now you're, you're ready. Now that you've been forgiven, now you're ready to be, to be used. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter, doing what we always do as people. Peter gets hurt. I can't believe you're asking me this again. Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things you know that I love you. Jesus again said, feed my sheep. You notice, how many times did, did Peter deny Jesus? Not once, not twice, three times. How many times does Jesus ask him if he loves him to forgive his sins? Not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus not only forgives us sin, Jesus forgives all of your sins. Jesus forgives your sins, past, present, and future. You know how I know? Because he's in Galilee before you're ever in Galilee. And did you notice what he calls him? He doesn't call him Simon by himself. He calls him Simon Peter. Peter is the good part of Peter, uh, the, the good part, the rock part. Simon's the old part, the failure part. What Jesus is saying is not only do I like Peter the rock, but I forgive Simon. I like the worst parts of you just as much as I like the best parts of you. I'm into every part of your life. You see, some of you need to get to know Jesus like this. Some of you know Jesus as a religion. You know Jesus as a confirmation class. You know Jesus as a, as a, as a statue. You know Jesus as the son of, of a virgin. You know Jesus as maybe something from history. You don't know Jesus as a forgiver. You haven't met Jesus in Galilee in the worst of your sins. You see, you know you know, you know somebody well by how you call, what you call them. I call Jesus my forgiver. I'll give you an, an example. There's certain people in this room, you, and there's very rare few of you, you call me Mr. Dufresne. It's like one of you. You don't know me. There's other people, maybe you call me pastor or reverend or whatever that is. You know me maybe a little bit better. There's some of you call me Steve. There, there, there's some kids that are here somewhere. They're my kids. They call me daddy. My wife, she calls me, she calls me some names you can't know. <laughs> you know you know somebody by what you call them. I call Jesus forgiver. Because he knows me. He knows me at my worst, yet he still loves me. That's why I love baptism. Because baptism, baptism is not a celebration of a person. It's not about them at all. You might be here to see them, but what they're trying to tell you is I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I was in darkness in my sin and now I'm free and I'm alive in Jesus' name. When I go down, it's a representation of my old life. When I come up, I am completely healed and free in Jesus' name. It's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He is the forgiver of your sins. I wonder if you know him. I wonder if you want to keep working in your own Galilee. I'm going to throw the net over one more time. I'm going to try that relationship one more time. Take that drug one more time. 
go to a new, get a new job one more time, buy something one more time, try to fix my problem, yet you keep catching nothing. Or I wonder if you would open up your eyes and look towards heaven and see Jesus coming towards you. He doesn't say find him. He found you. He says receive him. Receive him as your forgiver. I love what this Bible verse says as we close. In 1 John 1, watch what he says. For if we, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, watch this. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all our unrighteousness. If you would confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. He would forgive you and set you free. Would you stand with me all over these houses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? I wonder if you need to know Jesus. If you need to know Jesus. If you need to know how wide and how long and how deep that this love of Christ is for you. That he is already out ahead of your worst day. Some of you are in the midst of that season and he is here right now and he loves you more than you can imagine. He knows you. If you would confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, your past sins, your present sins, even your future sins. Jesus' work on the cross sets you free. I'm here today because I'm forgiven. That's it. And you're here today because you need to be forgiven. There's people all over these rooms. Maybe you came into this church for the very first time. Maybe you're here to watch a family member get baptized. But you're not here by accident. You're not here to watch a religious celebration. You're here to watch people stand with Jesus as forgiven people, as set free people. And that same gift, because that's what it has been, a gift. The same gift that he gave to them, he wants to give to you today. It's the gift of life. Some of you live your entire life as a result of the sin that you've done and as a result of the sin that's been done against you. But you can live your life as a result of what Jesus did for you on that cross. You can find victory. You can be filled with hope. You can be forgiven and free in Jesus' name. And so as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, what we do at this church is we say, is that you? Is God knocking at the door of your heart? Do you need to meet the forgiver? He wants to meet you in your Galilee. He's already been there. He's here right now. What does scripture tell you to do? Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose from the dead. And the Bible says in that moment, not because you, not because what you're going to accomplish, not because the extent of your prayer, not because anything else, but because you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your life will be changed. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to change you. He wants to set you free. Your job is to receive it in Jesus' name. So what we do at this church, nobody's looking around. God's speaking to you right now. And you're saying, that is me. I have felt the presence of God speaking to me since the moment that the band started to play. And I didn't even know what it was, but I know right now I recognize my need for Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm lost. I need a Savior. And if you're a parent, you'll know that when your toddler or your kid needs you at their lowest point, what do they do? They shoot their hands up to you, and it simply means, I, I need my mom, I need my dad. The Bible says that God is a heavenly father. And so what we do is we ask you to take a step of faith, 
and reach your hands towards heaven and say, hey, that is me. I need a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to ask him to forgive my sins and set me free. I'm going to confess that I'm weak. And I believe he's going to be willing to show me that he's strong. If that's you all over our houses, God's been working on your your heart right now and you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ you need to be forgiven you need to be cleansed you need to be new you don't want to live one more day without Jesus if that's you all over our houses there's a campus pastor or a director standing in the front right there to recognize you if that's you I want to know that I'm praying with you reach your hand towards heaven I want to pray with you as we close is there anybody here in Phoenixville who would say Jesus come into my life right now set me free. If you're at Plymouth meeting, Royersford, and Limerick, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air. I want to meet the forgiver of my sins. I want to meet the forgiver of my sins. I'm not here by accident. Today I want Jesus to come into my life. We're going to wait a couple more moments. I believe God is working on people's hearts right now. Don't miss, don't miss this moment. Don't, don't miss the significance of what can happen in one moment with Jesus. Today I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Let's clap with the person in Royersford. Yes, there's two people in Royersford. Is there anybody else to say, hey, pastor, that's me. Today, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Let's pray all over these houses. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for those that continue to raise their hand. There's somebody at Limerick and somebody at Plymouth meeting. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you right now that your word never returns void. Thank you right now that you are reaching into somebody's heart and you are completely changing them from the inside out. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We're thanking that it never returns void. We're thankful, Jesus, that we can invite you into the worst parts of who we are, of where we've been, of what we've done, and you meet us there. You're the forgiver of our sins. God, you're setting people free. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Jesus, we're thankful for what you did on that cross for us. It's where we worship from. It's why we're celebrating in baptism today. It's why we've committed our life to being fully devoted to you. You are our Lord and you are our Savior. Thank you right now for setting people free. They're going to leave this place, and they're never going to be the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you shout amen? Come on, let's clap all over these houses.